Morning Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones, the Night Queen. He is Isaac <laughs> Fitzgerald. It's Monday, and you are watching AM to DM. Here's a tweet from Computer Blue. If you have my HBO login and we aren't cool anymore, I got a little surprise for you this evening. Ooh, I like that. Yes, I do like it. Here's the thing. Like, I mean, I get it, right? If you're mad at somebody, or maybe it's an ex, you know, that's been using your login for a while. I like that. It would have been a heck of a plug. It would have been a heck of a time to change the (laughs) password, right? Uh But last night, I was all ready. I do have a friend's password. I've been open about that on the show, and it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. I was all ready to watch the whole thing. It didn't work. I was like, what's going on, man? He's like, oh, I moved. The cable package got mixed up. I'm like, oh, you got a new login yet? He's like, no, I'm trying to figure out how to watch it, too. Okay, why this is funny to me is because he knew, we, you knew we were going to be talking about oh, this 100%. Morning. 100%. Uh, and I have Amazon Prime, so I got nervous. And so I made a point, actually, of using it over the weekend because I think I was, like, trying to check. You were, like, you were like, like, te- you were doing, like, a, test, a tech yeah, run through? Yeah, I'm surprised you and your friends didn't say, hey, Chris, just uh, <laughs> haven't talked in a while but are you watching Game of Thrones? <laughs> just like a nice open-ended... There was, there was no tech run-through and I was burned for it. That said, Game of Thrones, you know me. I'm like very spoilers adverse. I try to That's avoid true. them. Right. I like going into a movie or something not really like knowing it. a lot. He thinks there's enthusiasm as a kind of spoiler. Story. Right, I like don't want to know if people think it's right. good or bad. That said, Game of Thrones to me is different. Yeah. Game of Thrones is it's almost like, like a sporting event. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you talk about this on the show from time to time. Like it's a water cooler a show. A water cooler yeah. show. You want to be a part of the conversation. That conversation happens on Twitter. You've got like two choices if you want to avoid spoilers, right. Game of Thrones, in my opinion. One, you got to stay off Twitter. Two, you got to figure out how to watch it in live time. So I actually still, I watched the timeline last yeah. night. I enjoyed it. I, I, I felt like I still, I, I know this show well enough to figure out what was going on. Okay, and it's fun without context. So let's do this. Can you sum up some key points from last night's <laughs> premiere just based on the tweets you've seen? You're going to put me on the spot just like this. Use the timeline. Okay, uh, definitely uh, dragons were watching some makeouts. Is that? Okay. Dra- did yeah. dragons kind of... They, they, they observe something. They observe something. Okay, okay. Uh, Brand, speaking of looking was definitely like look like looking at things like giving looks Indeed. to people Indeed he and was, was. Uh, you know who he was looking at he was real uh shady to Jamie right, yes. All right. he was waiting on a friend uh-huh. and uh and then lastly uh, Arya and Gendry maybe they met Oh, I thought I, I was like I think that means something else where I come no, from. But no, yes, no. yes, they did. They did indeed encounter one another in a fun way. All right. Well, listen. If you care about spoilers, that's your warning. Deal all right. Deal. Sorry. <laughs> or just go get a cup of coffee because we're going to talk about Game of Thrones just for a little bit. Hit the sirens. I like that. Ring the alarm. I've been doing this too long. I don't give a fuck about spoilers on Game of Thrones. Okay. Buzzfeed News editor Hayes Brown joins us now to talk about the premiere. Hi I guys. We're so excited. Hayes. Two years. Did it live up to your expectations? I think yes. From the minute the opening credits started and all of a sudden we get credits that we've never seen before in Game of Thrones, I was like up off the couch, like standing like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's happening? Please tell me more right this second. So I thought it lived up to the wait. Okay, so you thought it lived up to the wait. You liked those opening credits. I read a lot about that this morning as well. Sansa, Danny, John, what are you making of it? How, how are you feeling about where your characters, your beloved characters are at? I... Sansa Stark is the hero of this entire saga at this point, and I am here for her because her growth arc, she comes in very skeptical of Daenerys and Jon showing up to Winterfell, and I don't blame her one bit. She spent years uh, being abused, having to like survive, and her instincts are so good at this point. So when she shades uh, Danny and Jon, like, yeah, you brought this army, but how are we going to feed it? 
she's just looking out for her people. She's just being smart. And so I think that some people I saw were like a little uh, put off by how strong uh, Sansa made her opinions known. But I think that everybody needs somebody who can tell them the straight up truth. Like, I don't think you thought this through. That is such a great way to phrase it. It's checks and balance. Yeah, I don't, yeah, like, yeah. All she did was ask questions. She didn't say, she said, Winterfell is yours immediately. That's the first thing she actually says mm-hmm. to Danny. She wasn't saying, I'm not going to cooperate. She was just like, I have some follow up. I have yeah. some questions. <laughs> that's really interesting about the character growth as well. Like that's, I forgot. She she was like the spoiled She's bread. Spoiled. He was. No way. one likes Sansa. If you said season two, like, Sansa's my favorite character. Be like, get out of here. Who, why? She's the worst. She betrayed her father. She is naive. She's spoiled. But now look at her. Growth. Yeah. We <laughs> got it. Sansa being reasonable. We got Cersei complaining about elephants. <laughs> let's, let's go forward, though. Let's talk about what's coming up next week because mm-hmm. this episode did a great job of setting up new stakes and, and, and new terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your predictions for John and Danny? How are they going to do? I, I don't know because I think that Given how quickly Sam has told John the truth of his lineage, which I thought might take an episode or two, another episode or two, I think that John and Danny are probably going to have to have this talk. Like, so your brother, my dad, what are we going to do about that? And I fully predict Danny being like, you know what? It's cool. We can still do this thing. And John being a little bit more hesitant. So that's one prediction I have for Jan- Don and John and Danny right now. Okay, well, wait, wait, wait. We're, we'll do this thing. So she's like, we can keep fucking. I get that. You know, stranger things have happened on, in Western. Targaryens, Targaryens. Is she going to give up her crown or give up her, you know? That is a tough question because she, unlike John, she has been raised into this. She has been told her entire life, you are royal, you are royalty. She believes fully in divine right to rules. Like, it is her crown. She earned it. She earned everything in her mind. So I don't know. It's going to be like a real character-defining moment, whether yeah. that she can move forward and grow or really break if she's too rigid. It's a real... I mean, if, if there was a setup for maybe a Mad Queen transition, <laughs> this could be the test. This could be this it. This could All be right. it. All right, Hayes, thank you very, very much. Really appreciate your enthusiasm. Ooh, thank I you, guys. Love I love it. Okay. Did you mention elephants? I'm sorry, that threw me. This- oh, yeah. Cersei was... Tell us, let me know if you understand. I think maybe she's jealous. She's like, uh, Danny has dragons, but she wanted elephants and the elephants didn't show up and she kept talking about the elephants. It was honestly the most relatable Cersei has ever been. Uh, okay, I gotta, I'll, I'll right. go watch the Well, let's take it to, yeah, maybe you should watch the show. <laughs> uh, let's take it to the timeline. What do you think is going to happen next week on Game of Thrones? Jamie, you in danger, girl. Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. Okay, going from Westeros to a place that is totally not scary at all. <laughs> Let's go live from the district with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Paul McLeod. Paul, good morning. Good morning. All right, let's get right into it. Here's a tweet from ABC News. Sarah Sanders says potential transfer of undocumented immigrants to sanctuary cities is option on the table. Quote, certainly this wouldn't be our first choice because ideally we wouldn't be dealing with a massive influx of illegal immigrants. So Paul, why is the White House doubling down on this idea? Is it really still on the table? I mean, on the table in the sense that everything seems to be on the table in this government. And when you've got Stephen Miller, who is basically running the show on the immigration issue, uh, yeah, everything's on the table. And that's why they're doubling down is because Stephen Miller is calling the shots and he wants to go as aggressive as possible on any immigration issue. And, uh, I mean, he, this is what he cooked up as an idea to try to uh, put pressure on Democrats, to try to, like, hurt Democrats in some way. And, uh, I mean, 
when it comes to this crew, conventions and norms are pretty much out the window. Out the window. Well, okay, so they're trying to put the pressure on their political enemies, which, interesting choice to be open about it. Um, how are those Congress people and, and mayors, for example, of sanctuary cities uh, beginning to respond? Yeah, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of outrage at the very idea of this. And actually, interestingly, there's now been a, a rise in calls to have Stephen Miller testify before Congress, which I believe has not happened in the last couple of years that the Trump, uh, the Trump administration has been going on. So that would be a fascinating uh, turn of events if that happens, because Stephen, Stephen Miller, he has done some press conferences and not famously combative and uh, loves to argue with reporters there. So having him go back and forth with the uh, Democrats in the House, House of the Senate would be uh, fascinating. But the, all of the blame for this is pretty much going squarely on his shoulders because, I mean, everyone knows that he is sort of the brains behind this operation when it comes to Trump's border policies. Okay, see him testify, spray on some of that hair. Um, (laughs) I do want to ask, well, real quick, though, to me, I'm just baffled. Like, I'm like, is this even legal? To me, it seemed like the White House administration was saying the quiet part loud. So could they do this? We're really not sure because it's never happened before. No one's ever attempted to do anything like this to sort of forcibly relocate certain asylum seekers to certain parts of the country based on whether they're like blue states or red states. I mean, it's crazy to think about, but uh, we don't really know. I mean, certainly uh, when the Trump administration pursued this before, uh, the people at Homeland Security at the time uh, said, like, no, we can't do this. But, I mean, Trump has just... uh, taken out Christian Nielsen, the head of the uh, former head of Homeland Security, and is putting in his own people. So uh, maybe this becomes one of those things where the objectors just get steamrolled or replaced and they push forward. But, I mean, we're in, as I've said this before, and I'm sure I'll say it again, we're in uncharted territory here. In uncharted territory. And I think you're beginning to nod to this. But I did want to note that this is a change. When we talked about this uh, last week on the show, uh, based on the Washington Post story, the White House was denying it. They said it had been introduced twice uh, at two different points, and it had been shot down. And then Trump comes out. So uh, are they saving face, maybe, with this new change? I mean, I think what happens in situations like this is you have people in the White House who are desperately trying to push back against these ideas, And we've seen time and time again that Stephen Miller, in the end, gets his way. I don't think he would have any qualms about being open about this policy, but other people in the White House absolutely would. And I, my guess here is what we saw is that there was a, as often happens in this White House, a sort of a power struggle of what the message is going to be. And uh, Stephen Miller won this one. On that one. Well, uh, that's not the only thing that happened over the weekend of note. Here's a tweet from the HuffPost's Amanda Turkle. Representative Ilhan Omar says, Since the president's tweet Friday evening, I have experienced an increase in direct threats on my life, many directing, directly referencing or replying to the president's video. Uh, this is deeply disturbing. Uh, I'm concerned for her safety and the safety of other Muslim Americans. Um, let's, we're not going to show the video, but for context, Paul, can you describe it and why and what the president used it to do? Yeah, I mean, essentially, it heavily featured 9-11, and uh, it took a, a, a line from a, a speech he was giving of describing 9-11 as uh, was some, uh, some people did some things. It was sort of a throwaway sort of line when she was making another point, but the president took that, isolated it, and they cut it with all kinds of footage of 9-11. It's clearly trying to send the message that, or the implication that she was either downplaying or defending 9-11. 
So, I mean, it was pretty out there. It's pretty out there. How is the White House responded? Like, how are they defending this tweet? <laughs> I mean, they they kind of just have doubled down. They they have said that you know they're not trying to incite any violence and they or cause any harm to Ilhan Omar. But then they'll immediately turn around in the next breath and say, "But you know, the Democrats have to uh, look at uh, the things she's saying." And I mean, they very clearly have decided that they are okay with uh, targeting Ilhan Omar, one of only two Muslim women in Congress, and they've just they decided that they are going to put a hyper focus on the things she says and try to use it against Democrats. Um, you know, I, I was just so concerned about seeing this over the weekend because I felt like briefly, like I was the only person in America who remembered when explosive devices were mailed to members of Congress and newsrooms just a few months ago ahead of the midterm elections. Is this getting to a point that we haven't reached before? I mean, you certainly hope it never gets to a point like that. I, I would say that, you know, the reason that, part of the reason that Trump seemed to doing that is that uh, the Democrats have also been a, a real mess on this. I mean, they've been very conflicted on how to respond to the various controversies around Ilhan Omar. And even the statement over this weekend from Nancy Pelosi was very wishy-washy. I, 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 I mean, it, it was sort of chastising Omar while at the same time chastising Trump. And, and you know, just like it, it was certainly not a full-throated defense of one of her members of Congress. And uh, the the uncomfortableness of Democrats to really rally behind Ilhan Omar is, I think, left her exposed in a certain way. It's, uh, that, uh, you know, sort of opened up the door to some extent for Republicans to keep trying to attack her because from their point of view, they see it as working. We're making the Democrats uncomfortable. I don't know where this goes. It's, 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 it's a deeply uncomfortable situation, um, especially when you look at uh, the factors of her being uh, like the, the smallest of minorities when it comes to Congress, Right. Uh, two, like I say, two Muslim women, all of Congress ever, and that now they are taking this level of heat from the president personally, with who has a huge, huge uh, grassroots base of of uh, supporters out there. It is. It's it's a it's a deeply uncomfortable situation. I don't know where it goes from here. Hopefully, it doesn't go anywhere from here. Well, I mean, unfortunately, the president did tweet this morning. Uh, before Nancy, who has lost all control of Congress and is getting nothing done, decides to defend her leader, Representative Omar, she should look at the anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, and ungrateful U.S. hate statements Omar has made. She's out of control except for her control of Nancy. So obviously the president, like you said, and the GOP sees these things as working, these attacks as working. Do we think Democrats are actually going to step up and actually start giving a strong response? Well, well, some have, and I should say that, I mean, if you looked at the, the different presidential contenders, I mean, some people uh, actually did come out quite forcefully behind her, uh, and, and others did not. I mean, they're just really not entirely unified on this issue. You've seen Democrats come out uh, condemning Ilhan Omar and others who have been trying to support her. Uh, there's, like I say, they're just really not coordinated. But I want to point out one interesting thing about that uh, Trump statement this morning that I've noticed more and more is this idea of Ilan Omar being the leader, or they've also used this against uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, Rashida Tlaib, like some of it's like some, these sort of class of freshmen where this idea that, oh, they're the leaders and actually Nancy Pelosi is reporting to them, which you can look at it a different way. I mean, there's obvious political reasons uh, to try to 
you know, they, they want to try to cast Democrats as radical and all that. But also, I mean, it just sort of seems to ju- justify their own attacks, right? If you say, well, why are you putting so much of your energy into attacking this one freshman uh, congresswoman uh, for them to say, no, she's actually like the ideological leader of the party. Well, completely absurd and very demonstrably not true uh, is sort of this way for them to justify this attention on this individual. That's super fascinating. Wow. Paul, very insightful as always. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I just got to talk to you later. Talk to you. All right. Up next, we're going to clear some of the air with some fire tweets. Just burn Jamie Lannister. <laughs> fire! Fire! Welcome back. Let's get in these fire tweets. <laughs> Pixie Casey, you tweeted once again. Tiger Woods is Britney Spears for dads. I got to tell you, <laughs> I didn't really understand what was going on until I saw this tweet. And then it made it made I sense. Get it. He won Masters, but I was confused by the like near universal enthusiasm for his win. And I was like, I thought he didn't. America he didn't. loves a redemption story, baby. Loves a Amer- second coming. America loves second act. Uh, se- thank you for thank you for clarifying. <laughs> thank you very much. I do appreciate that. It was interesting. The timeline yesterday was truly just like Game of Thrones. Tiger Woods, Buttigieg, and like it, it felt That's like it. it all got mixed together. Like I feel like I had dreams where like Tiger Woods was on the Iron Throne and stuff like that. Yeah, guys, don't tell her. But someone's in the hashtag, and I think that she's saying really, I think disrespectful things about Representative Ilhan Omar, and I'm just replying to her by saying, "Leave Sansa alone." Let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> okay. Just let people get mixed up. <laughs> this next tweet is from John. <laughs> uh, in the beginning of the episode, Bran was like, "We don't have time for this." The Night King is coming. End of the episode, Bran was like, you know what, but I got time for your bitch ass, Shannon. Today I got time. He sure did. Bran is very, I find, inconsistent in terms of how he's using his powers. Yeah, I mean, that happens. When you give somebody that much power, it's, it's, it's a, a problem for a writer oftentimes, yeah, right? that's true. So you have to figure out ways uh-huh. to do it. For me, what's interesting, a lot of tweets that I saw were just how handicap, handicap accessible Winterfell is, which is good for them. New York could take because some that, notes. That dude gets around, man. That's That's all I'm Traveling. saying. Aaron Edwards, you tweeted, imagine getting on this app to boldly announce that you don't watch a TV show. You don't have to imagine it because many people are doing it. I saw a lot of that <laughs> yesterday too. And I mean, I know we say it all the time, but like, shh, let people enjoy things. If it's not for you, you know how to mute words. You right. know how to mute phrases. That's okay. I just don't know what people are... I want to know what do you think you're communicating? Because I think I don't reasonably assume everyone's watching the show. I assume a lot of people are. So I'm like, what are you trying to tell me? Because I don't, that's, you're not, it's non-information. Mm. Like, are you trolling? Do you think you're you're cooler or more sophisticated? Are you lonely? Are you lonely? <laughs> are you lonely, baby? Do you need some dragons in your life? Like, you need some wrong? dragons in your life? Anyway, good luck. Um, our next tweet comes from A.T. <laughs> Danny set half the world on fire, and she is about to find out that the throne belongs to her nephew. <laughs> that is nephew. It's a cold world for real. <laughs> nephew is really good. Really funny. Nephew is that is really. It reminds me of a story. Uh, that maybe. Listen, I'm just saying. I come from an area. Brother cousins. We call them brocos. It happens. It was all above board. Let's just get into the tweet of the day. King of the North. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> the comes from friend of the show, Josh Gondelman. I was just doing a show, and I thank the audience for coming out during the Game of Thrones premiere. And one guy went, "Oh no! Oh shit!" <laughs> and Josh, oh 
Josh, Josh is a comedian. He's up there on stage. I like to think of it as like the beginning of his set. And he's just like, thanks so much for everyone show up. Because I'm sure he was scared that it was just going to be an empty room uh-huh. on a night like that. Yeah. And then one person, oh shit. I wonder, did he leave? Did he grab, did he did he grab me? He was like, bye. <laughs> bye. What's was coming? He almost said here. He's like, I'll buy your album on iTunes, Josh. <laughs> Coming up, I sit down with Jeremy Sisto from the show FBI on CBS. But up next, we are going live from the district. No, we are. No, we are not. We are going to talk about a very difficult story out of Argentina. Welcome back. Our next story is quite difficult and it may be disturbing for some viewers, so discretion is advised. Here's a tweet about it from BuzzFeed News. All 11-year-old Lucia wanted was for adults to take out the thing from inside her. But the church, the local authorities, the nurses, they all conspired to make sure that does not happen. In another tweet, the story continues. Lucia still has some of her baby teeth. She didn't understand she was pregnant. She only knew her grandmother's partner had done something bad to her, and now she had a terrible stomachache. She begged the adults in crying fits to take out the thing he put in her. Carla Zabludowski, Latin America correspondent for BuzzFeed News, reported on this incredibly powerful and important story. Lucia, she joins us now. Good morning, Carla. Hi, good morning. Hi. How are you this morning? Good. Uh, It was a tough story to report, but I'm with that Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about Lucia? Who is she? Yeah, Lucia is an 11-year-old girl uh, who lives in northern Argentina. And that's important because northern Argentina is a conservative war. And the relationship between the church and state is very, very cozy. Um, She is a very poor girl. She grew up uh, in Tucumán. She was raped by her, her... her grandmother's partner, uh, she got pregnant, went to a hospital with her mother, asked for an abortion, and the hospital staff and local authorities uh, just stalled the procedure until she was 23 weeks pregnant. By then, the doctors who did the procedure determined that she could only get a C-section. So we're talking about an 11-year-old who got a C-section. At the demand of the government, I'm so sorry, but it seems like our connection is pretty rocky. Um, So we are going to tweet out the story right now. I don't know if you can hear us, but we are having issues tweeting you or hearing you. So we're going to let you go real quick. And for our viewers, this is, again, a very, very difficult story, but we are going to tweet it out right now. I really hope that you take the time to read it. It is um, difficult to process, but what is going on, especially with young women, young girls getting pregnant in Argentina is devastating. So do read the story we're tweeting out right now. Coming up, Stephanie McNeil is talking with Maris Kreisman about why she's stockpiling insulin in her fridge. Maris Kreisman tweeted, I wrote something. I think the headline speaks for itself. And that headline reads, why I am stockpiling insulin in my fridge. Maris joins me now. Hi, Maris. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Thank you so much for coming on and for writing this super important piece. And in this piece, you wrote about your personal experience, obviously, with type 1 diabetes. What made you decide to 
broach as a personal topic? I think there are a lot of theoretical discussions about the cost of drugs in the world, and there hasn't been enough um, really considering what it means as a person. Um, and I feel like I wanted to explain what high blood sugar felt like so that you can understand that when people really desperately need insulin, um, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, and you definitely opened my eyes and I'm sure many of our readers' eyes into what it's like living with this condition. And you call this current state of diabetes management dystopic. So yes. what are some ways you've heard of people managing their diabetes that made you describe it in that way? When I searched GoFundMe for the term insulin, I found 8,000 results. Um, I, I hear of people um, not taking the full amount of their doses in order to try to make it last. Um, and it just seems like the price of insulin right now is, is a tragedy. You said that you and your parents when you were younger would hope that someone like a celebrity or someone who has a lot of money would have a child diagnosed with diabetes. Obviously, because you thought that that might bring awareness to the condition that might actually yes. help get something done, get more research, get better drug prices. Can you explain that a little more? When I was diagnosed with diabetes back in the 80s, um, the language around diabetes was all about a cure is coming. Like a, a cure is within our grasp and it's a walkathon or two away. And, um, no one was thinking about insulin prices because we were all certain that if we just raised enough money, uh, we'd have a cure. And of course, 30 years later, <laughs> it's crazy to me that um, we're worried about insulin pricing. So has you seen that change over the years? And why do you think that insulin prices are such a big topic of discussion that we need to be thinking about now? Well, um, between 2012 and 2016, the price of insulin doubled. Um, and of course, insulin was created by a scientist who sold his patent for $3 and wanted it to belong to the world. And um, drug companies are greedy. <laughs> and uh, it's a huge problem. And I'm hoping that a politician in 2020 um, will nip this in the bud. Are you seeing that the prices are going up year after year for the same drug just because the drug companies are greedy or what is behind this? I, I think so. I think that's what it is. Well. <laughs> Eli Lilly said that they would cut their list price in half for um, the insulin they're selling now. But that price had still doubled so much uh, over the past couple of years that like it's still too little too late. Well, there you have it. That's pretty disgusting. So what do you yeah. vote for now? And what do you think that bringing awareness to this issue can do? I'm hoping that public pressure can um, make the drug companies think a little harder about what they're charging for their insulin. Um, I, I basically want people to know that in 2019, no one in America should die from a lack of insulin. It should be free. 
Those are some wise words, Maris. Thank you so much for writing about this important topic and for spreading this message. It's definitely a very important one. Thanks, Stephanie. Up next, Saeed is sitting down with Jeremy Sisto. Welcome back. I'm joined by actor, writer, producer Jeremy Sisto. You know him from Clueless, Waitress, Law and Order, and now, of course, he's starring in the show FBI on CBS. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. So Thanks I, for I, having me. There's a crew filming right outside the BuzzFeed office. Is that your show? Yeah, coincidentally. Okay. Are you going to run down there after this? Nope. I'm okay. not working today. But I did pull in, and my dri- and I got out of the car, and my uh, my producer was there, all angry at my driver for stealing his parking spot. And I'm, I thought, why is my producer at the interview? Uh-huh. I thought, wow, I'm very important. But no, it turns out the <laughs> location of our shooting is right downstairs. Lot twist, pretty busy on East 18th Street. Yeah, we try to get all around the city. So. I love it. Well, FBI uh, has been uh, renewed. It's in its second season. There's about to be a spinoff, which is really mm-hmm, cool. Mm-hmm. I-, I want to ask you, what's it like? And of course, you've been a part of the Dick Wolf universe for some time. Yeah. What's it like leading your own team now, Special Agent Valentine? Uh, it's you know it's a little bit different of a job. The FBI are kind of more connected. NYPD, which was I was on Law and Order. Uh, they're they're a little they're operating themselves, and they get a certain amount of respect from uh, from the world. But FBI is a different level. People really uh, uh, they want to help you out when you show up and you have an FBI oh, FBI badge. Okay. And in the office themselves, we have fifty different organizations uh-huh. that are in our office space. So mm. we have NYPD, NSA, border, mm. everything. So we can we have relationships with all those uh, those agencies. And so the connectivity of our crime-fighting ability is is beyond anything that the the NYPD has. Oh wow, a lot more levers to be able to pull. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at tweets for the show. People love to live tweet uh, FBI mm. when it's on, and then I saw a hashtag that I have to ask you about. Go. Jeremy's pencil. Right. Yeah. What is? What's going on? Jeremy's pencil. It's a big <laughs> part of my character. I, uh, is it just Valentine always? I have, pencil? yeah. I started okay. with a pencil in, uh-huh. in the pilot. I, I liked the idea of it. Uh-huh. And, um, and then people made fun of me. And then <laughs> eventually it caught on. And uh-huh. now that it's a whole thing, I'm, I'm learning some pencil tricks. I'm oh, trying okay. to figure out some. You haven't I'm hurt good. yourself yet. I haven't hurt myself yet. I'm not quite good enough. Right now it's a very slow twirl, uh-huh. so I don't use it very often. Okay. Second season, I'm going to come in strong with okay. the pencil. Oh, pull it out of my ear. <laughs> we're we're going to get a supercut of you just doing weird pencil things. Weird pencil. You can you superimpose that, right? right? Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I'm into it. I mean, I, I did want to ask you, you know, yeah. uh, the Dick Wolf Law and Order, you know, we, of course you've been on there as well, and now FBI. It's been so good to so many actors. It has, uh, yeah. You and Anthony Anderson were great together. Yes, I love Anthony. Why is Dick Wolf so good to actors? Why do people keep coming back and being a part of this universe? Well, I mean, it's, I, I guess there's... Um, Back then, it was a little different. Right now, there's not a lot. This whole world of, mm-hmm. of uh, procedural shows where you get 22 episodes mm-hmm. a season, where the, the quantity is an important element of it, okay. you know, there's not that That game is kind of diminishing mm. in the world. So uh, to be on a now for an actor is is uh, is kind of a, a level of consistency that you can't get elsewhere. Um, but, uh, but I think the thing about actors and Dick Wolf is he is really employed and uh, helped theater actors in New York uh, survive for 25 years. Mm. And there's that people that could not survive as an actor out mm. here, theater actors, if there weren't their you know yearly um, episode of Law and Order that, wow. that gets them through the year. So the fact that FBI is kind of trying to bring that mm-hmm. back, he's got a new franchise that's mm-hmm. trying to bring that world back. Is Law and Order? There's only one left, and so um, so it's fun to be on on at the beginning of mm-hmm. of kind of his. 
you know, effort to create a whole franchise. That's really cool. I also didn't really, wait, one episode could maybe help cover bills for an entire year? Well, I mean, it depends on where the union is, but yeah, in the 90s and mm-hmm. 2000s, I feel like that was how it went, yeah. Oh, okay, because I'm Well, also, just... you could live in New York for a lot okay. less than you could live now. <laughs> Things have like, changed. Wait a minute, because sure. I was like, you need a corpse or something? Right. I can lay down <laughs> for a little while, you know, get a little yeah, extra paycheck. Talk to me after. <laughs> um, I was also a huge fan of your character on Six Feet Under. Yeah. Um, it was so good, and, and I was thinking about about it um, over the weekend. Uh, at the time, you know, I think doing a show focused on death was pretty bold, and I think mm. that's changed a lot. Have you, have you noticed a shift in terms of the way we talk about death, at least on TV? Um, I would say that there's an element to, to the, this next generation of, of people that uh, seems to want to talk about how good things are, how, how mm. alive they are, and, mm. and kind of uh, there's an active, uh, at least back, back when Six Feet Under started, there was a a real craving from a lot of the people I knew to talk about this thing, death, mm-hmm. and to talk about the darker sides of life, the yeah. things that, uh, that that make it difficult to kind of figure out how to survive in this, in this, you know, as a human being. And and right now, there does seem to be an element of uh, a generation of people who want to put out this sense of like, look how great everything is, mm. and look how happy I am, and how happy you can be too. Mm. And as an artist, that's just not where I came from. I came from like, I want to be the person that kind of lets people know that I understand how hard it is to exist mm-hmm. and to like connect mm-hmm. to that. And that's where you, you know, that's the people, Marlon Brando, James Dean, these kind of actors mm-hmm. that were brooding and mm-hmm. kind of connected. A lot of that is looked at uh, now as sort of a overindulgence. And uh, I hadn't thought about it that way before. I mean, that's, maybe that's not right, but that's how I see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair. Fair. Um, well, also, I have to ask about Clueless as well. Sure. Um, yeah. There's been talk about a reboot. There was, yeah. And, and I don't know I what's the going on. Yeah, have, the, have you gotten a call? Do you I, know what's going I on? I made a call. <laughs> I was like, let them know. I'll do something. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ten years ago, I would have been like, no. But now I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm down. Um, yeah, I heard they have a really good writer. They're working on a script. I don't know. I saw Amy recently. I went okay. to see her uh, musical, the okay. Clueless musical. Yeah. And um, we didn't actually talk about the reboot. I should have asked okay. her. But, See, uh, well, we're, now you're on Twitter. and be like, listen, Jeremy Sisto is chilling. If you want him to come I through. know, it'll be a headline. <laughs> yeah, he didn't ask. Um, I'm in. If you got a part for me, <laughs> Eldon could be a great, annoying dad who's very... <laughs> At the soccer games? I don't know. Eldon, Eldon has a dad at soccer game. I, I see the vision. You can it's see it now, funny. right? Pretty funny. Yeah. And speaking of which, also, this brings me to Paul Rudd. Yes. Uh, who I... My secret is, because he's, what, in, in his 50s now. Uh, and I, I feel... Wait, maybe he's 50. Let's say he carried away. Okay. <laughs> maybe 50, right? <laughs> he looks... I know, he hasn't aged. What is... Do you talk... What is the secret? What is he doing? Uh, you know, he's got a youthful thing. I don't know. Maybe he just... Um, I don't know what it is. Something... Like a Dorian Gray situation? He might have, he might have made a deal, but I, I just feel like maybe <laughs> some people's face, when they work, they don't... It doesn't wrinkle, it doesn't... Uh-huh. So it just kind of stays the same. Right. You know, I think... Uh, I don't know. He's, I think he does have a youthful thing about <laughs> him and... and, and um, it's funny, as you get older, you are kind of look around at all the other people that you mm-hmm. know your age and see how people are aging. Because yeah. you never know. Some people age really well. Right. They're like, oh, you were always supposed to be this age. Other okay. people, oh, right. You're like, you work. were born to be 40. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 
And some people were like, no, you look 23 with just stuff on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and Paul, we don't even have the chance to judge that yet. So, you can't say anything. Uh, nothing. You look the same. It's yeah. like incredible. Well, yeah. Jeremy, it's good to good see to you. Me, Thanks man. for coming through. Yeah. Uh, FBI airs Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. on CBS Live. Tweet at Jeremy's Pencil. He's got, he's got some tricks ready for you guys. Yes, sir. Up next, Isaac is going to be talking with Ryder Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> Today's highly recommended is a Netflix series about a newly out gay man and his dominatrix best friend in New York City. It's called Bonding. Let's take a look. Hey, hon, I'm in here. Um, I, I just have some new friends that I wanted you to meet. Hey, hey. there. Hey. Folks. Hi. Um, I wanted to surprise you. Andrew Johnson Gonzalez. This is May. And she is here to... Tickle you. <laughs> Joining me now is writer, director, showrunner, and executive producer, Ryder Doyle. Ryder, welcome. How are you, man? Wow, good. Fine, thanks. Uh, tell me more about this. is your story. Uh-huh. You made it. You wrote it. Like, you're in charge mm-hmm. of all this, and it is a personal story. Tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah, it's very loosely, very loosely, mom and dad, based <laughs> on my real life. Um, I moved to New York City and didn't have that much money, and I had a friend who had secretly become a dominatrix and needed kind of an assistant bodyguard to help her out. And I mean, like, I'm just this 22-year-old little gay kid, and I was like, I can't be anybody's bodyguard. <laughs> but um, I ended up going with her, and, and uh, it really opened my mind to a world I'd never known. That you had never known. At what point did you think, oh, I could, I could take these moments and turn them into a show? Well, not until years later. I mean, I, I would tell it like as a party story, like one of the big stories um, that's not even actually in the show, but I would tell it at parties and, you know, people would laugh a lot. And I thought, you know, I should monetize this. <laughs> so then I started like <laughs> pitching it around and talking about it. And I think as, as you know, uh, as time went by, um, in, in retrospect, I saw um, actually how how beautiful this experience was, where it, it seemed very funny and weird, but at the center of it is really the story of um, sort of releasing yourself from shame and people mm. who have secrets and people who uh, identify in a way that the that society won't allow them to. So um, I, I, I wanted to sort of talk about that, especially in this time um, uh, in the Me Too movement and when we're talking about uh, shame and sexuality mm-hmm. and being very um, verbal about that now. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed actually important. So I think it's a very funny, sexy show that... Uh, that in, if you unwrap it is actually about something uh, very real. Let's talk about that a little bit. What 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 did you learn when you were young t- at 22? Kind of what assumptions about dominatrix stuff did you walk into it with? Right. What did you learn? What will this show maybe um you know people that are a little more close minded? What will they learn? Well, at 22, I learned a lot about anal sex, but that had mm. nothing to do with bonding. That was just um, your interest. That was just me coming out of the closet and really getting down with the butt. And, good, 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 um, good. Uh, and that makes its way into the show a little bit as well. Um, but uh, what I was actually learning is that, uh, I mean, the, it seems really weird, and we're very judgmental people. I'm a terribly judgmental person. Mm. And um, on the other side of that, as you get to know someone, um, your judgment starts to dissipate and you see that their that their need, however weird that sounds or however weird it actually is, is not so different from your needs that mm. are that you don't classify as weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in, a, in the show, for a lot of the characters, the first time you meet them, you're completely judgmental of them and their experience. And hopefully through the 
through the course of the show, um, there's greater understanding. <laughs> Very nice. Very, yes. You know? Uh, it, it works on numerous yeah, levels. You it watch, works on you numerous levels. You watch the show levels. and you're like, mm, not really. But, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, the people that'll like it, you were saying that earlier before we went on, right? The people that'll like it will like it, you know? Yeah, the, yeah, These yeah. things that you made. Let me ask you this, though. What's it like for you to revisit that time period in your life? Like, you were coming out of the closet. What right. were you figuring out about yourself? Well, like, the show is highly fictionalized, but that part of it is uh, true. And I, there's a line in the show where the lead character, the character that is like me, though I, uh, essentially the character is nothing like me and I didn't want Brendan, the actor, to try and be me in any way because who wants to watch this? <laughs> so, um, but what I was, you know, sort of going through at that time, as I said, uh, coming out of the closet, everyone in the show comes out of the closet in some sort of way. Everyone has mm. a secret and coming out of the closet is reserved for gay people like the rainbow. But like we actually, everyone does that to an extent in their own life especially sexually, and usually we do it very intimately. And on this show, they happen to do it uh, a little more publicly. So the, uh, the peak character in the show says, um, you know why it took me so long to come out of the closet? Um, it's because if I came out of the closet, I wouldn't know who I was. I was always mm -hmm. someone with a secret. So what if I didn't have a secret anymore? We are sort of build the foundation of our subconscious selves on secrets. Mm -hmm. And what happens if we let everyone know who we really are? Who we actually are. We, we are seeing this right now, though, in Hollywood, yeah. right? There are more stories like this being told, yes. which is yes. actually very exciting, right? Because yeah. some are great. Some yeah. can be not so great. You can enjoy the ones that you relate to. Do you think there's more? Like, do you, are you excited to see so many gay narratives? coming out of Hollywood, coming out of this? Or, or do you think that there's always room for more growth? Well, you know, I'm highly competitive, so I'd really like it to just be mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's so cool. I think that people are always saying, like, are you afraid? You know, I'm so grateful to Netflix, and they're making such wonderful um, headway in terms of telling different types of stories. And people always say, are you afraid that, you know, there's too much content out, content out there? And the thing that I always say is that um, the... It, the, the content is now able to, because there's so much of it, you're able to actually see the things that you want to see. Like, mm. um, you can find the thing that you want to find. And mm. if you don't like superheroes or, you know, if you, Game of Thrones is not necessarily your cup of tea, <laughs> there's now something out there for you. And I'm so proud to be a part of that. And I think of myself as... Uh, a weird kind of person and to think that other weird people can see this and be like, yeah, I relate, that's that's thrilling to me. I absolutely love that. Let's talk about the cast a little bit though. You did just sure. mention the person playing you. Darcy Carden, how did that feel to land it? Like, was that so exciting? She's amazing. Well, Darcy Carden and I are on Barry together and when I was, <laughs> when I was writing uh, the script, she was like, you should write a part for me. And I was like, okay. Really? What we, yeah, but we had filmed it like, we filmed Barry, the, the pilot for Barry and all the rest of it, uh, like almost three years ago. So at that time, Darcy Carden wasn't Darcy Carden. <laughs> um, but she's never really Darcy Carden because she's just like the most wonderful, gentle, funny, beautiful person. And so I looked for multiple people like that to come in and do the show. And we have so many great people who came in and did that as well. And then, and really rocking. Because you have, you've been Barry, right? You're the worst. You're yeah. on Girl. Like you have a lot, you've been a part of a lot of successful comedy series. Yeah. But this is your first directing, right? Yes, yes, yes. So did you learn anything from those that you're bringing to this? Like, what is it like to be behind the camera? 
Um, you know, I just always thought I'd be good at it. And you you read a lot of, as an actor, you read a lot of scripts. Hang on, let's, let's, let's stop right there. Yeah, real go on. I always thought I'd be really good at it. Let's yeah. talk about that. Let's yeah. talk, you're, you're just strengthen it. You're like, give me the, the reins. Well, well, this is what I want to impart to you, that you should really own, you should really own the things that you think you're going to be good at. And even if people tell you you're bad at them, just keep walking forward because <laughs> we're all going to die. And you should just say you're good at something. <laughs> You know, so I think a big part of it for me is that I just thought I had the instincts for it. And as an actor, you read a lot of bad scripts and you do a lot of bad things. And luckily, I've been a lot of great things. But you read enough bad things that you're like, I could make a bad thing. Like, <laughs> they're getting paid. Like, I can get paid to do bad shit. Like, I'm bad. Like, you know. So if you make something maybe slightly better than bad, like, you're cooking with gas. Like, what a great day for you. What a wonderful day. Real quick, before I let you go, yeah. of course, yesterday was a big day for Mayor Pete, announcing yeah. that he's going to run for president. Do you have any feelings on all of that? Are you excited? Just talking about, we're talking about the content. What about the real world? Right. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, like, what, what can I say other than, you know, you know, everyone's afraid, I guess much like uh, too much television content, everyone's afraid of too many good people running for office. And I, I think that there can't be enough good people running for office. Amen. Thank you so much. Bonding starts next week, April 24th on Netflix. Thank you so much for coming on the Bye, show. Girl. Deeply appreciate okay. it. Saeed and I are reading more of your tweets up next. That was fantastic. Oh, I kid man. you not, I'm reading a Game of Thrones recap from Sarah Larson. <laughs> right I'm like, I need it all. You're getting some more. I'm going to go home and watch it again. You're like, I got to figure out this elephant thing. Wait a second, do you have a login you can let me use? Princess Leia tweeted, Jeremy Sisto, I love. He is one of my fave detectives from Law & Order of all time. Hug him for me, please. I, You know, he was delightful. He was very delightful. He's very handsome. That's <laughs> <laughs> he was delightful. I really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah. I'm excited about him learning all the pencil tricks. I, I like that too. I like that he was like, could we just put that in with some CGI? Super He's like, it, I'm going to do it, this right it, now. Flip it, flip it, flip um, it. We wanted to know your predictions for next week's episode of Game of Thrones. And Melissa said, I really believe Sansa and Tyrion, thank you, are going to become a couple for real by the end. And absolutely no one agrees with me. I don't even think they agree with you, Melissa. I feel like they, Sansa, I think is still married to him. That would be dope. They were married. Uh, like, I don't, I don't, I, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure Twitter will, but like, I'm pretty sure they're still married, and I don't feel like the show remembers it either. That would be interesting, <laughs> though. I would absolutely. They are keen. I mean, I just think Sansa is, and then she says at one point, and you'll, you'll soon see, but he's being illogical with his faith in Cersei, and she's mm. just like, for real, dude? <laughs> and she just says, I once thought you were the most cleverest man in the world. Mm. and walked away. So I think they do have a meeting of the minds. I mean, he's brilliant, she's brilliant, he would treat her right. Is Sansa drinking wine yet? Is there Not yet. Ooh, no. whoa. <laughs> Wait on that. Okay, oh gosh. Ebony tweeted, Jamie is tried, oh, this is your prediction. Uh, Jamie is tried and set to be executed until the White Walkers show up and everyone gets snatched up for the epic battle. Mm. I mean, you know, we only have six episodes, so it, it does seem like a lot is about to happen very quick. Do we know which episode that battle is going to be? Like, do we know? Is it like a build? You the think preview, it'll be, I look, it looked like something's coming up. Do you think it'll be the penultimate episode or do you I think it'll know. be? That's going to be really interesting. I don't know. That is going to be really interesting. Well, I got to figure out how to watch it because I got to watch it soon. <laughs> I also want to watch Writer Doyle's new thing. He was just he was a, delight. a delight. As soon as we were up, I was like, Isaac, did you two know each other already? We, we did not. Like they've been 
longtime friends. I was like, it's Ryder coming for my gig. Y'all get along a little too well. I was just charmed yeah. by and him. And I, I love the idea of bonding. I'm really excited to mm-hmm. see it on Netflix. Because I, I liked what he said, like in, in seeing people talk about their kinks, what turns you on. Like that, that requires a vulnerability um, that if you don't know how to do that, it's going to hold you back in other ways Absolutely. as well. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, listen, if you subscribe to our brand new newsletter, you already know. But for those of you who don't yet, and you should, the winner of our lower third t-shirt pool is May the Black Hole Consume Us All. And if you want to purchase one of these shirts, if you want to just walk around putting that message out into the world, the link is below. And I'll tell you, I have one of my shirts. I, I got mine on Friday. Okay, excellent. It's very comfortable. I kept wearing it this weekend. Ooh, they're like, they're so that, you they're that like soft material. material. You're looking online, but it's a good fabric. It's that good fabric? Ooh, I like that. And y'all know I don't do poor fabrics. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you to our guests, Hayes Brown, Paul McLeod, Carla Zabludowski, Stephanie McNeil, Maris Kreisman, Jeremy Sisto, and Ryder Doyle. All right, we will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. It's Monday. Go get the week started. Good Monday. luck. We'll see you tomorrow. Monday. Damn. Damn.